OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Welcome to the Supporters Fund, Ask an Investor. I'm your host, Jeffrey Pogman, and let's please welcome Brian Duarte from Black Tech Capital as our investor today. Welcome, Brian. It is a real pleasure to have you join us today. Thank you very much for having me here. Well, Brian, we're really excited today to get the opportunity to dive into kind of the area that you focus in on, and not just because uh, another great investor, but I think that the area you're kind of diving into if we could say it, it's going to probably save the world in the next 20, 30, 40 years. So we probably want to focus on this area as much as we possibly can and talk about it as much as we can. And I think from what where what we're seeing and the way you've been kind of interacting in this space, I have a feeling you believe the same, that there is a real strong need for clean tech and the world of change that it can make. So maybe before we dive into all of that great stuff about what you're doing and how, how you kind of got there, I think the best way to start for us is if maybe you could share a little bit about your background from your UFT days to Enbridge and all the great companies that you've started and worked on. If you can dive into that and then one thing about you that nobody would know. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So going back, I mean, for me, that clean tech, sustainable um, view on energy does go back to when I was in the University of Toronto. There, I was involved with the high mileage vehicle team. So we were creating vehicles that were getting 1,300, 1,400 miles per gallon, right? So some, some phenomenal stuff. So there was always an interest. And then because I was part of that team, was part of a group that in our fourth year, we were in a competition to take a pickup truck and convert it to run a natural gas. So we were competing against three other Canadian universities and 20 other US universities in this particular area. So there was always that spark in me to look at what alternative energy sources are out there, right? Knowing, hearing all around us, there's a limitation on how long oil and gas is gonna remain and be available. So what other options are out there? And that started me down a path now, being part of that, and back then it was Consumers Gas, now Enbridge being a big sponsor, they came in and, and, and snapped me up to, to work for them, uh, being one of the captains of, of the team. So that career, you know, was my first career into that corporate world, really taught me about a lot of the disciplines you need inside of a company, right, about how proper process, procedures, things that you know when I that translate now into the startup world so when I'm working with startups I can really see some of the things they need just from that background you know and I spent a, a good part of my career there but always in developing new things and the, the last bit at Enbridge created a new division where they went into electricity so they branched off from natural gas and created a whole new electricity division and created a competitive sector that we built from nothing in the smart metering. The smart metering market really did not exist in Canada in, in the high-rise buildings before us and, and really helped create and develop that market. And then that business was, was sold off to uh, Enercare later on. So it was my first foray of building a company, you know, within, yes, the safety of a big um, 
enterprise, but you know, we have to compete. You have to compete for customers. You have to um, develop the business, go out there, um, create something from nothing, create something from scratch. And, and, and that got the bug going with me again. I say again, because my first business was actually at nine years old. Um, selling golf balls. And I can tell you to this day, a Jack Nicholas golden beer uh, golf ball was worth a dollar. That was my top seller. So I always had that entrepreneurial spirit, entrepreneurial spark in me. And so after leaving Enbridge, uh, started working with a number of companies. My first company that I created, I sold half of it 10 months into creating it. You know, a um, bunch of investors, they invested in one of my partner companies I was working with, just loved what I was doing and came in. And that was specifically focused in the smart metering world, but offering services that didn't exist out there. Um, from there, I went on to create three different other businesses, some in the um, construction sector, uh, others, again, more focused in that energy sector and you know, sold, sold another one of those off to one of the utility companies. So, so I had a, a great feel for it, but then it was like, there needs to be more. There needs to be something else. And that's where this sustainability journey really needed to take off more because I had customers that were, you know, using smart metering, doing energy management, but what else can we do? And that's where I started helping these customers with sustainability solutions and find them sustainability solutions and working with organizations like the Center for Social Innovation, their Climate Ventures Group, and working with a lot of startups and seeing all the great innovations that were out there but I said, you know what? I want to look at creating a venture fund, right? I want to be able to help these great startups in the clean tech space grow and scale. And knowing specifically in the clean tech space, they need that long-term vision. It's not a quick thing. You know, you're looking 20, 30 year horizons for a lot of things. So that's where my background in Enbridge, where we would build pipeline systems for 30, 40, 50 years into the future, that really comes to play here a lot. And then on top of that, Knowing my journey as a Black entrepreneur, yes, I sold my businesses to some private investors and to uh, a, um, a, a division utility, but I didn't know the investor space the same way, didn't know the venture world and what the options were and what possibilities were out there. And knowing as a Black founder how difficult it was to get founding. I mean, when I was on to my second company, millions of dollars of revenue, I was running, I think, 14, 15 staff at the time. The banks wouldn't come and, you know, couldn't get anything from the traditional bank. So I know as a black founder, it's harder. So that's a, the other big part of Black Tech Capital's mission is to support black and un, other underrepresented founders in this clean tech space, because it is a big problem. And we've got to make sure that all solutions from everyone is heard to give us a chance to, to be successful. I mean, I want to be able to maintain, you know, uh, this beautiful island background, because already this heard within the last year, Indonesia has lost about 22,000 islands from climate change. Um, so th it's a big problem to be solved and a big thing to tackle. To, and to ask, what is one thing people don't know about me? Um, you know, always being somewhat of a, a risk taker, even personal life. You know, I've done skydiving, I've done gliding, and uh, back in 2018, I did a 600 nautical mile sailing race, four days straight on the open ocean. So, you know, that's it, you know, you know, not something everyone would know, right? And not something everyone has done, but it was, it was a cool adventure. Mm -hmm.
Well, thank you for giving us the deep dive. And before we do unpack all of this, I do want to ask you about the sailing side. So when you went on this uh, sailing adventure, I, I'm assuming it wasn't solo, so it was built around a team. Are right. you an avid sailor or was this just something you signed up for and said, I'll learn as I go? How did you get into this and, and how did that work? Uh, about eight years ago or so, a client took me out on their sailboat in Lake Ontario and I really got the appreciate the engineering aspects of trying to figure out where the wind was and I said I can get into this and then another colleague had a um was racing out of Frenchman's Bay in, in Pickering here in Ontario and he said we're always looking for crew so I jumped right in into racing right that's where we go out a couple times a week and, and learn to race boats so I had for a few years you know been racing honing my skills racing bought my own boat, um, started racing my own boat. Um, and so was getting better at it, you know, but I'm not an avid sailor from a young child, like a lot of people were, but then there was about 14 of us from the yacht club. Some had done this Royal Caribbean 600 race before. And so they convinced me to do this race. Cause they said, like, I knew we'd hit some bad weather, but they said, you know, you spend most of it sitting under rails, enjoying the beautiful Caribbean scenery, not this race, 30 knot wins. 84 boats in the race, 42 didn't finish the race because they broke stuff, ripped apart sails, capsized, right? And uh, so I, I had not done open ocean sailing. Sailing on Lake Ontario is nothing compared. Lake Ontario, yeah, you may get a, you know, four, five foot wave, not 30 foot waves constant that you're dealing with. Not 30 knot winds constant for most of the four days. So, you know. It, it was quite the experience, right? And, and you're doing it round the clock. Most of my races before were two, three, four hours. This was three hour shifts on and off, you know, for, for the full four days that we were doing it. So intense, but uh, love the experience. <laughs> That's incredible. It, it reminds me of uh, when I was a kid, um, I guess I would say I was lucky. Uh, some friends of the family, they had a, a small... Uh, boat mm -hmm. and it was I'm gonna say it was a 22 25 foot uh, boat and I had the opportunity to learn how to sail on this boat just as um, a couple times a week get to go out and um, it's funny but you don't remember all of the things that you went through and the things that you learned in the sailing until you got put into a position where you had massive waves and a lot of things coming at you yep. and then all of a sudden you remember the entire experience so just as you were explaining that I'm having flashbacks and I probably have never told this story because I never remembered it uh, because <laughs> it was just part of something you did like playing hockey as a kid right oh I played right. on a pond but you remember playing on a pond when you fell through the pond so in this yep. case I remember being uh, in a regatta uh, in a race and you're right a lot of boats didn't make it through but I just remember these um white caps 10 foot 12 foot up to 15 foot white caps hitting us and I'm like I'm 10 years old what am I doing out here but you don't <laughs> even pay attention while you're in this heat of it right even if you have a little bit of experience your mind is on moving this winching that putting the sail up moving this down you almost right. forget that that's actually around you until you get to the point where you're finishing and then all of a sudden you take back and think wow, I can't believe I was part of that. How exciting. So mm -hmm. I can just imagine a four-day event of going through this at, you know, three, four times the height of waves and caps. 
and being able to remember that at the end and being able to tell that story is pretty exciting because that to me is what adventure is all about. So yeah. kudos yeah. for you for being able to jump into that and, and take that yeah. uh, mm-hmm. extra risk. So that's very exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's, that's where you you know, you live and you grow and, and really know, get to know yourself, right? Know where your limits are and, and how you can push yourself beyond what you're typically used to. And that's the entrepreneur's journey, right? Because, for an entrepreneur, it's unknown territory, right? Where's this business going? How are we going to do this, right? I was just coaching one this morning, uh, another entrepreneur, and she's going like, you're going like, how am I going to get through this? And you do, right? And and, and so it's the same thing. How do you overcome those challenges and, and keep taking it till you, till, till you get to that success? Well, a lot of those things that are coming at you, they're, you know, they're not intentional to try and break you down or to ruin your business. But what they mm-hmm. are is uh, they're just bumps in the road and, and yep. you have to navigate through them. And as you get more experienced, you, you, you probably tend to have less of those bumps to navigate through. And if uh, we, we take this back uh, to when you first started uh, working on the automotive sector when you were in university, what I find fascinating about the story that you were talking to is that you can tell just from that in the uh, I'm going to make a guess sometime in the late 80s and 90s uh, you're whipping through and building out this tech on uh, 1300 1400 mile um, kilometers on a car right which is technically can be done but it's not very common today it's usually around a thousand to maybe 1100 on a tank of diesel in a car if on you're a lucky tank. As- we were doing it on one gallon which is incredible. Yeah. Um, but taking that kind of experience and saying, you know what, the markets have been challenging areas since day one, since mm-hmm. the 60s, the 50s, the 80s, and they've been looking at ways to reinvent the way products are being made. And I think a lot of the times when you get into uh, climate tech and clean tech and the things that are kind of moving the world today, when you go back to that experience that you had in the university days, when you were challenging status quo, which again, very exciting, very few people have probably had this opportunity as engineers, even today's Mm -hmm. uh, on today's standards, when you guys were going through this process, maybe can you share a few of the learnings because it is on the university level and a lot of really amazing tech has started at this stage. What were some of the things that you went through back then that mirrored to what's going on today in the environment? Um, I mean, some of the things we went through that were mirror, a lot of how we did it would be like a typical business. So we had the technical engineering side of it, the, the challenges to do. And then we had the financial side. So we had one guy on our team just dedicated to managing and raising the funds because we had, you know, this is back in... 91 and we had to raise $150,000 to be able to $150,000 in direct funding and probably another $300,000 of in-kind work, you know, to to get it done. So you, you still have, you have to find the money to be able to do the things that you wanted to do. Right. So that's, you know, that's one of the things on the research level that is, is very similar. The beauty about being in a university, you had access to certain resources and depth of expertise. And then you'll find today, a lot of clean tech is coming out of that research environment, right? Being developed and and taken through. Uh, But the other thing that was needed is that leadership, right? Uh, When you have a team of people, 
you're needing that leader or leaders that are going to set that direction and, and take you through the challenges because we had days when things obviously didn't work, things broke, um, you know, you're pushing, you're taking a vehicle and an engine that was not des was designed to run on a liquid and now making it run on a gas, right? Because it's, it's compressed natural gas versus liquid gasoline. So you, it's a it's a huge learning curve. You you didn't have injectors big enough to for the fuel. So we solved the problem by putting in a carburetor that did ninety percent of it. So going back old school and then using fuel injectors to fine tune that last ten percent to get the right mixtures that we needed. So you know coming up with new and, and ingenious ways because you're saying that, that so that is what's happening in the clean tech world today is what's been done right now how can you take what's done in the past and modify that or come up with something completely brand new and, and build off of it so very very similar types of learnings and experiences and, and doing things that people just yeah, no one else around you is doing, right? Where are you going to get the natural, the compressed natural gas from? You know, there was one station in the GTA that we could go and, 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 and get that filled up and get our tanks filled up and, um, you know, creating a test chamber to, to test it out. That's very similar, very similar journey today. You're creating a pilot for usually, and then how do you build it up to commercial scale? I mean, this was in partnership with uh, General Motors. So they were looking to see how can you take the technology even further? So it, part of it was saying, you know, making sure that the pickup truck could still be used as a pickup truck because you could fill the bed full of uh, natural gas tanks, but now it's no longer usable. So how do you make something that meets it and is usable? So lots of different challenges to face and, 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 and fun to, you know, to come up with, with new solutions and then test it in the field, in the real world, head-to-head -head competition against other universities and road tests and pulling tests and uh, performance and uh, emissions testing. So, you know, go from, okay, everything that you did in the lab, does it really work in the real world? It is, you know, can it hold up? And then at the end of the competition uh, for our sponsors, we drove the truck back up from, it was down in Oklahoma, we drove it back up to Canada. So, uh, we trucked it down just to make sure nothing happened, but we drove it back to show this was doable and you could fill up along the way and so on. So a lot of great learnings, mm -hmm. you know, it taking that pilot and put it into the real world. Mm -hmm. And that's incredible. And, and I think there's a couple of things that you mentioned there from leadership and experience and that the leadership side was that even though you were building this out and you were testing different theories, there was always a strong mandate of leadership that was supporting what you were doing. And you can say that, oh, wait a second, you guys were young, you were know-it-alls because that's what happens at that age. So you guys didn't need any guidance or help. But as you alluded to, you were working with some pretty sophisticated uh, products and tools from injectors to uh, having to work in an isolation chamber, I'm sure, when you're working with the different forms of gases. And you're not just testing, uh, hey, I have one theory, you're probably bouncing a lot of these ideas around what's actually functional and doable to what has been tried before or what could be tried in the future. And that leadership is going to be able to help you uh, put together uh, a clean, easy way of testing this versus a dangerous, 
uh, non-returnable way at the end of the testing. So it sounds very interesting that even today, this is very uh, known process in order to build up. You have to take each stage and go through this. So even back then you were doing that. But I think the piece that really intrigued me the most about this conversation is that the experience level is that there wasn't a lot of experience in what was going on, but you had access to people that did. And on the other side, you were actually doing testing and a lot of it, finding right. different ways to change tech. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Is that something that's lacking today that everybody's in a rush to get somewhere and we're not taking the time to actually build centers, even if it is repetitive. So taking what you did 30, 40 years ago and replicating that today for the youth, because it's not that far-fetched that it's so terrible, low tech, we can't do this, that mm -hmm. actually should be replicated because it's actually helping engineers really better understand how to challenge tasks, even if the tech has moved forward a lot quicker, but it could still change just by having the right people in that room together, uh, diving in on a project. Oh, I mean, there, there, there's a lot in there in that. I mean, you've got entrepreneurs that ignore resources that are out there. Because, you know, the assumption that I'm building something new, so no one's done this before. We were building something new that no one's done, but there's still that expertise to go to. So it's exactly what you're saying. Making sure that you seek out that advice. That professor that was leading it for us, I maintained a relationship with him all these years. And he's now, he, he just retired last year because no one wants to work on combustion engine anymore because it's not sexy, but even though there's still lots to do, but that tie-in has me now tied in strongly into the University of Toronto and their engineering department for, for Black Tech Capital. So if I need advice evaluating a company, I've got a level of experts to go out in there and get and, and a level of experts to pass on to my company. So it's right, there are experts. They haven't done exactly that, but there's that process. And then having that process for going through things, what I find can happen today is people just go out there and haven't built anything to, and tested it, or they spend forever trying to perfect it. And if we did that, we would have never got the truck off the ground, right? You have to do something, go out there and try it, let it break, right? And do it again. I mean, it reminds me of when I look today of why SpaceX is successful versus other companies. When you know you listen to what Elon Musk is and the challenges they they went through, they tested their rockets and stuff broke. And you know, finally in the fourth one, I think is when uh, was when they got it to work. But you versus some of the other more established companies that are out there, they test and test and test and test. In, in terms, sorry, they test in a closed environment. They don't go out in the real world and test. And you've got to do both, and you've got to be able to iterate. And it's a good learning for engineers, right? There's stuff you do in the lab, but you've got to get out there in the real world and see how it responds and then bring it back to the lab and refine and keep going through that iterative process. And in the tech world, that's what's got to work, you know? And, and sometimes waiting too long is bad and not waiting long enough is, is, is also an issue. So making sure you go to those mentors that are out there that I may have done in a slightly different field, you suggest, but the principles are all the same. Totally agree with that. And I, and I love that in that experimental side, you're, you're pushing the envelope. You're saying you got to get out there and test, let it break, figure it out again. 
because in those moments are when you're going to create something exceptional and mm-hmm. you may pull away, you may walk away from it and it might not be something that's doable, but at the same time, if you're really focused on that product and the engineering side of it, and you've got the right expertise, you can find a solution. There is a solution to everything. If mm-hmm. you put the time and effort into trying to figure out how to move the envelope. Correct. Yep. No, exactly. Mm-hmm. So now you kind of take this, well, I'm going to say a massive amount of experience you gained just in the university side before you even got into the real world of uh, of engineering, and you j- dive into um, some pretty big companies working at the Enbridge side. Now, taking that same entrepreneurial background, you're able to build a business within a business. And this is also becoming quite common where there are accelerators now that are working with founders, bringing them in to solve bigger problems inside of big business. They become a client of theirs. Then they get all of that exposure, knowledge, uh, experience, everything you can possibly imagine and helps them grow that company. And then they expand it outside of the big core. So taking that experience and again, unpacking that, what were some of the things that you felt allowed for you to actually integrate into the company? Because I think a lot of the times you figure out how to take the tech and get it out of a big business, but Mm -hmm. inside of the business, which is who you're selling into, how did you get them to accept what you were building and that this was a solution as a tech that they could sell and make money off of? Um, Good question. Um, There's, when you're developing something, especially inside of a large corporation, the, the first thing you can get is a lot of resistance because that's not how we've done it, right? We, this is the way it is. It, it, it's been this way for a long time. And so just the process of being able to pull it outside the organization is key. So trying to build something new inside of an organization is very, very difficult, right? And this has been proven back into the 60s. You know, one of the most amazing planes out there, the SR-71, was out of Lockheed Martin, but they created a separate Skunk Works division to go and do that. That's what we did in Enbridge. We created a separate group. So we pulled some of the best and brightest out of the company, put them into this separate organization, had the blessing from on high, and then you go and try it and try different things. And then you find ways to slowly introduce it back in you can't you know you can't just slam it in as you know here do this now right but where does that add into the company where does that add into the company's revenues how does that fit into the footprint so in looking at again it goes back to that leadership knowing you know we're going to build a business that was new in the smart metering realm but we're building it like a utility because there were there are other so we know the utility world we know what that was in the distribution business and even though that part of business isn't unregulated we're building it with the mind of maybe one day it could be regulated so having that again it's back to our previous conversation that going to those experts and the corporate knowledge and making sure that's included as part along the way and including those people helps to get the buy-in to go back so and and yeah, it's a, it, it is it is a tricky process, but some, I also think doing it that way, it's, you're you're solving a problem that is known versus solving a problem and hoping somebody wants to use it. You know, where entrepreneurs come up with new things, uh, 
and sometimes, yeah, there's a market for it and sometimes there isn't. But when you're solving that problem that somebody already knows, I think there's a, a, a level of value to that that uh, can accelerate it faster. So when you were getting this buy-in, and I think this is super important because when a startup is building and solving a problem, they have to go out and do this. They have to find buy-in by so many organizations to say, hey, I've got this problem that you have that I'm mm -hmm. fixing and I want to solve it for you. And this is what I've done. And you're a mining company, and this really is going to solve this problem of uh, underground networks. And this is what I've built. Um, how do you get them to look at you as a solution provider and working with them? And how did you get them to buy in versus the way the attitude is, is that I know how to do this. Don't worry, I got this. I know I, we already have a solution. We don't need yours. Even though it, they don't have a solution and this is unique and they are solving the problem. How did you sell in? How did you get the business to get on board and support you? instead of playing against you? It, it's a, um, in some ways it, you have to mimic parts of what they're doing, right? So in looking at, these are the processes that you have today. What pieces, even though we've developed something new, what pieces can we leverage, right? So that in a, in a way, parts of it looks and feels the same way. So the, in, in our case, um, how we model the distribution system, how do we model the smart metering network looked uh, very much like how we did it on the natural gas side. So there were parts of it when you bring it back into the larger business. Oh, I get that. I understand that, right? So you have to take, you know, the more out there the tech is, the more you have to have that person or persons that can bring it back into a language that's interpretable for those that are there already and, 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 and ease them into it. I mean, I, I go back to even when I was in Enbridge, the number of software projects we introduced and the ones that failed are the ones that threw everything in the kitchen sink all at once. And people just, they're, oh, this is too much. I can't do it. The ones that were successful, introduce a little bit, introduce a little bit, and you get that buy-in piece by piece, and then people all of a sudden forgot they used to do it a different way, right? So that's, um, it, it's, it's salesmanship, right? It, it's salesmanship, it's, it's, it's knowing, and being conscious of, you know, you're dealing with another human being, right? Some too many times us engineers can forget, you know, get caught up in the technology and the coolness of it, Forget you got to deal with another human being at the end of the day and make sure that you know how to relate to them. So making sure you have people in your team that can relate to people really well and, and cross not going to say cross pollinate, but interpret, right? That interpreter, you know, it's that someone that can be that Rosetta stone between the two divisions, right? And, and slowly like, you know, not force feed it, but slowly introduce it is, is a key I see. I love it. I love the uh, the analogy of the the Rosetta Stone, like being able to translate the languages in between the two. And and I think that uh, you really nailed that by saying the mimicking the process. And I think a lot of startups forget this whole analogy is that 
you've been in the space for 30 years. So now I come into you with this cool tech and mm-hmm. I'm telling you, Hey, you need my cool tech because you guys have been doing this wrong and you're right. 30 years and you're an old dog and you don't know what you're talking about. Take my tech. And we think that that's a way to sell in. And mm-hmm. from everything you kind of shared, it seems like in order to streamline this, you need to be speaking the same language, use the Rosetta side to break down the barriers, break down Correct. the language, which is buy into them by mimicking portions of what they're already doing so that there's an ease of use and integration so that they can see that okay you followed some of our standards you followed some of our process and now you're tying in this new tech and that's solving that one problem and maybe it cut down reporting from 12 hours a day to 30 minutes and wow that seems like such a great idea and such a good solution we're willing to play with this and then you can start to introduce slowly like you said little bits of solution providing versus here's the Swiss army knife. It's going to take care of all your problems. And then that person feels offended, feels like they wasted 30 years, their egos are in the way and they don't want anything to do with you. And they will literally block you out because they don't, they see the value maybe, but they have no interest to work with you because you're totally crushing everything that they've done for 30 years. Yep. Yep. Uh, Completely. Right. You've nailed it and summarized it really, really well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that in taking that is really a great way for startups to better understand how they approach big business. And I think maybe there is a misnomer that if I build it, they will come. I think that that's probably maybe great when you're an Apple or you're a lot bigger and people understand what you do. But in that early pre-seed stage, you really need to work really closely with a few of your customers and help them unpack what you're doing, working with you, uh, reduce the ego side and allow them to work in the product and work within it. And and maybe there's some solutions that you could offer that you guys did to get them really entangled into what you did. If it was offering free services or free support, Um, I tend to guess that free seems to be a good way to get people lured in, Um, or you open the door up to allow them to coach and mentor and play that style of game. Is there a couple of other angles that you would suggest um, that you've been able to, to utilize that have worked to get that product into a business and get them testing early so that you can build traction, but also build that um, experience within that company. I mean, one of the keys is finding that champion within the company, right? So there is always that one individual called the early adopter inside the business that's, that's willing to champion it. And they're now your best friend, right? That you, 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 you're looking for that. You're looking, one of the key things that a, a startup can do is looking for that or looking for making sure that as part of your advisors, you have someone that's got some experience in that industry, right? So whether it comes from your advisor or whether you look to, if, if you're a venture-backed business, just not looking for dollars, but looking for someone that's got expertise that, that can come in. So for, for myself, the companies that I'm working with right now, they want me there because of that expertise and, and in the industry that I know, right? And no, I know the industry. No, I'm not going to know your specific tech. No, I'm not going to know your specific solution, but I'm going to help ease you in there. So that's what companies need to, to do. There is always that individual, what they said, either that champion inside the company or someone outside that company that's in that industry. You, 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 without that, 
you know, you're, you're going in blind, right? You're, you need someone that can navigate some of that, make that introductions. At the end of the day, yes, you yourself have to sell the product and sell what its capabilities and deliver on it, most importantly, but finding that champion to, to help take you in there is critical. I love it. I love it. Now, to kind of keep moving that ball forward, you then left Enbridge. So you packaged out your, your business side. You went in and you created uh, Enlighten and a few other, I guess, businesses along the way, parted some of those out. Maybe just uh, can you share a couple of points of what you felt were the big, biggest learning points that you had by creating that next company, raising those funds or selling? What was some of the things that you would reference? Because you're coming in as an engineer, that's always going to be tough running a company regardless, because when you're uh, in the thick of things, and, and I'm going to call it a gearhead just as, uh, as a coder, I just want to do that. The hardest right. thing for me is all the other jobs. Right. So, you, you've kind of stepped through all of those. So what are some of the things that you learned that help you shape better, um, ensuring that you had some success on these next companies? What are one or two things that really stood out in that experience that you can share? Um, to me, one of the things that stood out, especially when you come from the corporate world, you that corporate name brings in a lot of customers, right? I, I call it, you're, you're more... You have to do more, you know, you know, farming and gathering versus when you step out as an entrepreneur, you're now a hunter, right? You, you, you only going to eat what you kill, right? And that can be a shock to people when you first go out to, to know that those are the things you're going to have to do. As a gearhead, as you call it, right? Um, when, when you're recognizing where your strengths are and where your strengths aren't, right? Um, as I said, I had, even prior to Enbridge, I had created businesses when I was young. I had to get businesses from the age of nine all the way through university. I ran DJ businesses. I ran all sorts of different things. So I did have that business experience personally. But if I didn't have that, I'd be looking to go partner with someone that, have, that has that sort of business or experience, I should say. Because I've seen companies where the engineers have created some really good tech and they are not business-minded or they're not the type to take the company to the next level. And as much as you may have developed something, it's your baby, you have to recognize where maybe you need to step out and then go seek help. I sought very early on in my career an executive coach because I said, to take my businesses to the next level, I've got to be something different than I am today. So I recognizing my own limitations and my technical skills, I made it purposeful to go out and seek help to grow those skills, um, to running people, um, you know, so some working with businesses, biggest challenge, working with friends, right? And the only learning from the school of hard knocks, it's a conversation you need to have at the beginning of that relationship with your friends, because you think, oh, I've known this guy forever. This is great. Everything's going to work. What happens when it doesn't, right? And I don't mean, you know, yes, put contracts in place, uh, breaking up a startup and breaking up, you know, ownership shares and stuff. I mean, some of the things. So yes, get some legal advice. But as to me, more importantly, because I'd say contracts only come up when all things have fallen apart. Have those conversations up front, right? What happens if this? What happens if we, you know, because 
realized that some one of the friends I work with, he wasn't the same level of risk taker that I was, right? So he was comfortable, he was good at what he did, but he wasn't comfortable with the level of risks we were taking and being a business and out there. So he kept pulling back and pulling back and the business would suffer. And then it became tricky to deal with. So to me, that was one of the big learnings. Um, now the big learning was uh, where do you take your money from? Right. My first business, I told you, I sold very quickly half of it, but then they asked me to merge with another company. You know, we did that merger. Now I only had a small stake in it. And we didn't have those conversations about what happens with, and they, you know, I ran into challenges where I said, this part of the business that you just had me merge with, it's failing, right? And I end up walking away from the rest of my shares, right? And that business collapsed, right? Because I, I, they, and, and they wouldn't listen. So, you know, it, it's looking and being aware of what you're going into, like everything, Everything seems fun and games and exciting when you're dating, right? And it takes work when you're getting married, right? And, and going through and it's constant work at it. So, you know, I can't stress enough those constant conversations and talking about things and, and dealing with things early. Um, I was just coaching another founder today um, where she's run into some challenges with a co-founder. And to me, you've got to deal with it early. You, there's at some point you recognize things are off, dealing with things early is one of the big, big learnings out there. Don't let things sit, don't make sure, assume it's going to get better, right? And seek out advice of others that have gone through it because the entrepreneurship journey in itself is not new. <laughs> there's nothing new, what you're developing may be new, so, but seek out advice, talk to others, and listen to it, right? And, you know, and take the parts to feel right and other stuff won't, but make sure you get some of that and, and then decide quickly. Don't sit in anything forever. You know, being an entrepreneur is about making quick decisions. Do this. Oh, did that work? Great. Didn't work? Switch. But sitting there forever trying to make a decision, it'll kill you. Mm -hmm. Well, those are some great points and, and I'll uh, reiterate a couple of those, but I, I do think the, the biggest one that, and you just finished with it, of course, is don't sit on things and, and react quickly and move quickly. And mm -hmm. this takes a lot of learning and time to figure this out in your career, because a, a lot of the times you think it may self-correct, but it just festers and gets worse. So yeah. I, I think that you really need to focus on that. I love the aspect of if you're going to work with friends, put the groundwork together right away because friends can be valuable and can be very supportive of what you're doing. Right. But if you don't put down that uh, those rules and regulations, you may find yourself uh, tripping up and then burying the problem again and not solving things very quickly. And, and I love the fact that you're looking for expertise and looking for people that can support you. Uh, but at the same time, you always need a naysayer. You need somebody that... Um, puts you back down to earth and punches you down a little bit because you need to make sure that you're grounded throughout this process because sometimes you might get wound up and go the wrong way and, and not yep. realize you're doing it. So um, all, all great advice. And, and it sounds like all of it comes down to is building some fantastic relationships. And it sounds like entrepreneurship really comes down to being very good at building relationships. If it's inside your business, if it's selling, uh, if it's building the market, it always comes down to how good you can build relationships. That is, that is the key to what's going to be successful. You can have the best tech in the world, right? And, you know, we see lots of examples about that, you know. Um, 
but those relationships is what's going to make the difference. I love it. I love it. Well, we're going to now transition to, well, actually, no, before we transition into the, the next phase, one last question, because this is really important through all of this journey and all these great learnings. It sounds like you've really put together uh, one great career, but also allowed you to line up to what you're doing today, um, which is in your capital investment side, you've kind of dived into two areas that you're really focused on. One being that you're looking for underserved uh, founders, which I think is amazing. And then the other side is that you're going into the clean tech space. So maybe to kind of summarize all of this is that you could share a little bit about um, what that looks like from a clean tech standpoint, maybe define what it is and how uh, you're attacking this market, I guess, that differentiator on the capital side, and then bring that all up and, and summarize it with the underprivileged, uh, uh, if you will, founders that you're going after and how that all comes together in this nice, great story of um, how you guys are building out uh, your next stage of, uh, of investment. Sure. So, you know, starting off on the clean tech side, one of the things that people don't recognize is Canada is a really a leader in the clean tech space and, and, and the clean tech is broad. I mean, the companies we're looking at go anything from carbon capture to sustainable fish farming to new types of uh, battery technologies and ways of deploying that. So, you know, I say, I look, is it having a positive impact on what we want to solve with the climate crisis? That, that's one thing. The other thing on the clean tech side, as I said, for Canada, there's a clean tech 100 index that gets published every year. Canada's number two on the list. You know, yes, we're behind the US, but we're ahead of Germany, we're ahead of France, we're ahead of the UK. So punching well above our weight in terms of what we're doing. As an investor, the thing to look at is on from, from clean tech perspective, Canada, the Canadian government, the federal government is putting a lot of capital dollars into this space. So companies that I'm working with, and the same thing south of the border, companies that I'm working with they're eligible for significant grant funding that's up to like a three to one match of what they get in private investment. So it's a space where as an investor, you can put your money in and see it accelerate quickly, right? So, you know, from a pure business sense, that's one of the reasons why I like it. You know, it's, it's recognized now, you know, with companies being forced to do proper ESG reporting. And I say that because we know all the, the, the scandal going on around there, but there's a demand for it. And it's, clean tech was sort of seen, oh, something nice, sustainable. It's great because we need it for the planet, but it's a moneymaker too, right? Um, you can be green and sustainable and make money. It's not an either or, right? And so that, for me makes the space exciting as well. And that's why I want to get in from a venture. If it was just about being sustainable and doing those, I'd try and do maybe as a nonprofit or, or some sort of foundation, but venture backing it is because there's great business opportunities there and that's been and proven out. Our first investment has already qualified for millions of dollars in grant funding um, right off the bat afterwards. So it's a great space. And then when I, the other side with the underrepresented founders, to me, you never know where that next solution is going to come from, right? And if we're only going to the same group or same groups of people for the solutions, we're going to miss solutions out there. So, you know, on top of my own 
personal bias and my own challenges. I mean, that obvi that's obvious as a black founder that that plays in here. But from a business sense, though, there are solutions out there that we don't want to miss. And when we're dealing something like the climate crisis, you can't miss those great solutions. So that's one of the reasons I go in there. Right now, while you have those underrepresented funders getting significantly less funding, what I'm seeing is as a business opportunity, those are better developed, right? They've had to do more bootstrapping. They've had to do more proving it out and have got something to prove, right? So it's, it's you know, as I said, from a pure business perspective, it makes sense, right? Not, so it's not just, oh, I want to help this group because they're, they've been overlooked. It's yes, and they're developing some great technologies, right? Women founders out there developing some great technologies and yet passed over black founders, you know, uh, indigenous founders. It, it's in all those areas. And it's all those people, you know, going to all those groups that we're going to find the solutions that are going to make a difference. So. I love it. I love it. Well shared. Uh, one thing that I would I would add into this mix, and I and I I don't see it very um, happening so much in anywhere in the world, and I think it would make a really big difference, and it would support what you're going after and where you're making your investments, and and maybe this becomes part of the global mandate, or at least uh, in the Canadian mandate of what you guys are doing, is that it's going into uh, grade schools, it's going into high schools. And it's actually use casing the fact that anybody and everybody can be an entrepreneur. I mm -hmm. think that in today's society that a lot of immigrants, immigration that's come into Canada tend to be the people that are building companies because they've had families, they've mm -hmm. been part of it, and they mm -hmm. understand what it takes to be an entrepreneur. I think mm -hmm. a lot of the other groups have never had that experience, have mm -hmm. never been able, my parents, they worked for uh, I, Ontario Hydro. My mother was a stay-at-home mom, and then she went and work, put herself through school and became the same. So they they all had this corporate mentality because that's what we grew up on. How mm -hmm. do you get people to think about entrepreneurship? And I think it has to go to that early stage and we really have to start to change the story that entrepreneurship isn't just about cool and money, that it actually can solve problems and that there are a lot of them out there. And there are a lot of people in high school and grade school that are very smart, but just need the guidance to get them to take that risk. And I think that's going to open up a whole plethora of people that have never even crossed this chasm of how to get into entrepreneurship. And I think with the group of what you're doing, man, you're going to be standing there at the front door, just signing people up and, and booking in the, in all the smart people. And I think that's what makes this exciting uh, in this uh, whole journey of entrepreneurship. So uh, kudos to yourself for jumping in and being able to take this challenge on and increase that 1% to a hundred thousand percent. And, uh, that's what it's going to take to, to change the world. So uh, great to hear. Um, we're now going to transition real quick because okay. I know we're getting up on time, but right. um, I wanted to uh, to get one use case from you. And, and you've talked a little bit about different founders that you're working with today and the opportunities. What does it take to be an entrepreneur? And do you have a story that you can share uh, that she or he went through and you were just blown away? And this is what it takes so that the audience can kind of learn on what you feel that entrepreneurship is and it might even be your own story i mean i'll take one and i'll do said the the company we invested into is called mars materials and, and i love this story because it, it captures everything that we were talking about so 
this was a, he wasn't a first time founder, right? He, he, he had developed other companies in the past, but nothing of any great success, right? But he went out there with thinking, I want to find a solution that's going to remove a gigaton of CO2 out of the atmosphere. So together with a co-founder, they went out on a year long search. So this is talking going back into industry, going out and seeing what was out there that could solve that problem. And they ended up finding through NREL, National Research Engineering Labs, I believe is the name in, in the US, a process for capturing waste CO2, combining it with ethanol to make acrylonitrile. And that acrylonitrile is a base product for carbon fiber. And so they found something that somebody else had developed out there, but NRL, it's like, you know, when we're talking back about the universities, there's a development process that goes on, but how how do you bring it into the real world? So they've gone out there as a startup because NRL is used to corporations coming in there and buying the technology, licensing it. So they went in as a startup and negotiated. And it was a, it's been a tough negotiation. So I was, re, you know, and because no, we won't give you this. No, this is what we need. And he's negotiated and got the exclusive license for this uh, acrylonitrile. And now it's taken it, uh, it went through the pilot stage. And now it's now all the steps to bring it to commercialization and, and, and doing the same things, having to partner with industry. Um, came to me I've just meant to be mentoring him for the better part of a year now and even though we weren't fully ready yet with the fund he says Brian I need you on my cap table right so back to that bringing that expertise because he knows my connections in industry and business and I've made those connections so for me as an investor it's not just about the money I want to show you as a startup what I can do for you and, and there to make sure there's value or maybe I can't and then you need to be looking at somebody else but as I said I just love where he's gone out and recognized where the expertise is, where, you know, he's got the vision, he's got the goal, but he's not a techie. Uh, his background wasn't even, is, is not in the tech side, but he brought in a co-founder that's an engineer to, to deal with that tech side and, and make sure have the right pieces. So to me, it's, he's doing all the things like we were just talking about, getting the expertise, getting the things, going after industry, finding a solution, now going back to industry and finding ways to ease in and partner and finding those champions in industry to now be able to. So as he commercializes this, he has customers for what he's doing. So it's, I mean, I love, I, I, and I love the story. I mean, and his first round was oversubscribed and now they're going to um, big announcement of, of additional funding they're going to be getting. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a real good news story all around and how we've developed that. Mm-hmm. I love it. Great story. Great story. Great share. Um, I, I'd love to unpack that more, but we're going to move quickly into our rapid fire questions. Sure. Um, so the way these work is you're coming in as an investor and you're choosing what option works best for you. Pick A or B. Cool. Okay. All right. Let's do this. Founder or co-founder? Founder. Mm-hmm. Unicorn or four-year 10X exit? four-year 10x Mm -hmm. tech or cpg tech Mm -hmm. nft or web 3.0 nft Mm -hmm. ai or blockchain ai first time founder or second third time founder doesn't matter okay first money in or series a first money in Mm -hmm. 
Angel or VC? VC. Mm-hmm. Board seat or observer? Board seat. Safe or convertible note? Safe. Lead or follow? Lead. Equity or interest payments? Equity. Favorite part of investing? Working with founders. Mm-hmm. Number of companies invested per year? Right now, two. Mm-hmm. Preferred terms? Negotiable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, you mentioned this, but vertical is a focus? Clean tech is the primary focus. Health tech is a secondary, actually. Mm-hmm. Okay. Two qualities a startup needs in order to stand out to you? Coachable. Coachable founder. Coachable, coachable, coachable. Uh, and, and vision. Like a strong why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love it. Okay, we're going to do some personal questions. Okay. Mm-hmm. Most famous person that pops in your mind? Both. Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Book or movie? Movie. Mm-hmm. Superman or Batman? Batman. Mm-hmm. Restaurant or picnic? Restaurant. Mm-hmm. Favorite brand that pops in your mind? <sighs> Don't have one. <laughs> All right. Nike is the only name to pop to mind because I saw the yeah. Nike. Nike's go. good. There you go. Five minutes with Bezos or Oprah? Bezos. <laughs> Mountain or beach? Mountain. Mm-hmm. Favorite book? Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. Good book. 18 times. Nice. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, favorite sports team? Right now, Ineos with Tour de France. All right, cool. Yeah. Mountain or beach? Mountain. Mm-hmm. Bike or run? Bike. Big Mac or Chicken McNuggets? Big Mac. Mm-hmm. Trophy or money? Trophy. Mm-hmm. Beer or wine? Wine. Mm-hmm. camera or mobile can't say phone. run rum <laughs> <laughs> well i guess there's a good mix in there somewhere mm-hmm. uh camera or mobile phone mobile phone mm-hmm. uh king or rich king it's good to be the Con- king <laughs> all right concert or amusement park concert mm-hmm. favorite movie and what character would you play in the movie Star Wars, Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortune cookie or birthday cake? Birthday cake. Mm-hmm. TED Talk or book reading? Book reading. Mm-hmm. TikTok or Instagram? Instagram. Facebook or LinkedIn? LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. All right. What is the meaning of success to you? The number of people you've positively impacted in your life. Positive impact. I love it. That's, that's my billion dollar. That's my billion goal. A billion people impacted by the within the next six years. Mm-hmm. All right. It's a good goal to have. Mm-hmm. Favorite app you're using today? <laughs> mm. I, oh, what's my favorite app I'm using today? It's, 
It's a good question. I don't have one. Mm -hmm. I'm right. a, I'm I'm a one that plays around and everything all at once. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, that's cool. Yeah. All right, last question. Mm -hmm. What is your superpower? Building great teams. Mm -hmm. And knowing what people are great at. Mm -hmm. So building great teams because I know what other people's superpowers are. Mm -hmm. I like it. That's mm -hmm. great. Well, I think from there, I want to thank you very much for joining us today, Brian. I think that we've uh, been able to learn a lot. You shared a lot. And I so much appreciate uh, all the things that you're doing in this ecosystem. I'm sure we all do. And uh, especially in the area of where you're going after, I think we'll see a lot of great things uh, build up in this space over the next 10 years. And we want to thank you for sharing today with us and our community. And we want to, what we like to do on our side is we like to give you the last word. So anything that you want to share to the investor or to the startups, I turn it over to you. But again, thank you very much, Brian, for all your time today. Well, thank you very much, JP, for having me on. I mean, this this was fun. You know, I, I love the different questions. I love the rapid fire at the end made made me think. Um, you know, the the thing I, I leave with is that, you know, I am reminded of that quote that says, you know, we don't inherit the earth; we borrow it from our children, right? We don't inherit it from our ancestors. So that's where i'm coming from you know it's looking for towards the future our mo motto is good for people good for planet and for me as an investor uh you know making a difference that's the area i want to focus on right is not to say that other areas aren't great but that's what's important to me that's what lights me up you know and and i follow my passion you know talk about sailing and all those different things you know i follow what lights me up i follow what i enjoy and and I'm loving doing this, right? I'm, I'm loving going out and, you know, starting businesses is great, but, you know, getting to help a whole bunch of other businesses and work in all these different businesses and help them and help them grow even more fun. I love building. So it's, 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 it's great. So I love what I do. Mm -hmm. Well, Brian, it shows. And, and I think just from uh, your superpower and being able to, to find the right teams and the right business, uh, I think you're also uh, great at working with others and helping them better understand who they are and where they're going. Um, and it's glad I'm glad to see that you're enjoying what you do because that's key to everything we do in life. So mm -hmm. keep up the great, awesome work you're doing. And again, thank you for all your time today. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Okay, that was great. So much material to unpack there. And, and I love the angle of, of where Brian's coming from, uh, working in the clean tech space um, and with uh, uh, the founder group that they're going after. And incredible, very big support. You know, to reiterate, uh, a lot of things were on his side around coachability, uh, vision of founders and where they're going. Build relationships, man, man. So many times you talked about that relationship building all the way through his discussions and what he went through and what he talked about. Everything from sales to marketing, product build, relate to people, talk to people, figure out what they're looking for, what they want. That's going to help you build faster and quicker success. Um, and then being able to um, certainly be able to react to things quicker. You know, don't let things fester. The longer they do, the more trouble they cause and the more pain they're going to cause you. So act quickly, get things done, and that's going to help your business move forward. So a lot of great insights there that he shared. 
Uh, thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this conversation, please feel free to share with your friends or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and or Stitcher. Your support and comments are truly appreciated. You can check us out at supportersfund.com or for startup events, visit openpeoplenetwork.com. Thank you and have a fantastic day.